Alrighty, Joshua chapter 6. My bad on that. I uh, sent the study sheets to the office and they had already left for the day and I had forgotten all the things I'm taking care of today. So we're going to go down and get those study sheets for you, get those back, uh, but we can definitely get started on Joshua chapter 6. All right, so chapter 6, we are hitting what today? Jericho. Joshua and the battle of Jericho. Yeah. So I tried to find a clip for that, but... They just gave me the entire episode of VeggieTales, and I figured, let's not watch the entire episode, because we need to learn from the Bible, because we all know the VeggieTales is not biblical. What? Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. It's like reading the NIV. There's elements that are true, but it's not exactly God's word. Okay. All right, so that was a joke, by the way. That was definitely true. All right, so so anyway, um, so we're going to be talking about Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. All right, and so this one is a, a really, really good story. Um, I wish we had more time to really dive into some of the details of this. So I'm going to be giving you the overview of it. I'm going to be giving you some of the specific details about it. But this would be a really good chapter for you guys to chew on over the next couple of days. So if you don't have a place to read or if you want to take a pause from where you've been reading for your morning devotions, uh, why don't you just take some of the stuff that we're going to talk about this morning and just run this stuff out and just start studying it for yourself because this chapter is loaded. It is absolutely loaded. All right, so listen while I read this. Once you get your guys' study sheets, you'll have the paragraph on there. All right, so now that God's people are fully prepared inside and out because that's what we've been doing the entire time all the way up to this point, it's time for their first battle, and that is Jericho. So this is the day that they've been waiting for as a nation since they left Egypt, which was a long time prior to this. God's battle plan seems to be very unconventional, and we're going to talk about that. But we will see that the people are obedient to whatever God says, and that the Lord is able to work wonders in and through them. And so as we go through this, just consider a couple things. Consider your own heart and life and mission field as we go through this chapter. And what has God asked you to do? I want you to think about that as you work through this. What has God asked you to do? And are you willing to do anything that God asks you? Now, that is a loaded question. So I'm going to ask it again. Are you willing to do anything that God asks you? Because we should. We should all. I mean, we call ourselves Christians, which means we're followers of Christ. And so if Christ were to show up in your life, which, by the way, he does on a daily basis, and he asks you to do certain things, it should be a no-brainer. It should be like, oh, of course. Considering who he is and what he's done for us, anything that God asks is not too big, right? Anything, no matter what it is. Like if God were to, I mean, think of the most difficult thing that God might ask you to do. I mean, would that be like, oh, God, that's way too much. Like you shouldn't, I I can't do that. I mean, (laughs) you're looking at the guy who bore all your sin upon his shoulders and died for you on the cross to give you redemption when you deserve to go to hell. So think about that. So this is something that is much, much bigger than just the story of Jericho. I mean, there's elements of it where Jericho is a great example of strongholds in your life, things that you keep getting tripped up over, things that keep holding you back from walking with God. So think about all that stuff as we go through some of these details because it is definitely something that should resonate inside of your heart and in your mind. Okay, so there's two perspectives to look at this. There's a devotional and there's a doctrinal application to this. And so I just want to briefly mention these just to kind of help keep stirring your mind about the details that we're going to go through. So devotionally, the battle of Jericho, it is the main stronghold in you and in your life. And think about this. God has given you a land and this is the city that's standing between you and the land that God has promised you. So this is a picture, a great type of a stronghold in your life that keeps you back from conquering the land that God promised you. 
Now, Jericho is a type of the lost person that is then conquered by the Lord Jesus Christ through the gospel. So that's definitely true. So there's another picture there that we can see as you go through the, this story. The Jericho is a great picture of someone who is unsaved and that through the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they become redeemed. So there's that picture. Uh, and then we're also going to be introduced back to Rahab. You guys remember Rahab from back earlier in chapter 2? Well, Rahab's going to pop back up on the scene because remember, she's from Jericho. And you had the two spies that went into Jericho and Rahab housed them. So Rahab is definitely a type of the lost person that's redeemed by the Lord. And then doctrinally, we're talking about Jericho and Rahab and everything. The fall of Jericho, and this is really cool for those of you that like more doctrinal type stuff. The fall of Jericho is a type of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jericho is a type of Babylon. And you can see this in the chapter. If you take a look at verse 17, look at verse 17 of chapter 6. It says, and the city, which is talking about Jericho, shall be, what's that word? Accursed. accursed. Well, that word accursed, if you cross-reference that over with Revelation 18.2, that's the exact same thing God says about Babylon during the last days. So the city and the kingdom that the Antichrist sets up is called Babylon in Revelation. And here, Jericho is associated with Babylon, and Jericho is definitely shut down. So it is a type of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, with Joshua, whose name is also... Jesus comes to conquer this unbelievably strong city. So Jericho being a type of that, being a type of Babylon uh, that's going to fall when Christ returns. And then Rahab, this is kind of cool. Notice this as we go through it. Rahab is a type of the New Testament believer prior to the rapture. Because think about it. She's taken out of the city and she's saved from destruction. But she's also a type of the tribulation believer. So once we're raptured out of here, people that trust and what God has said and follow him wholeheartedly during the tribulation. She's a picture of those people that are also saved out of the great destruction from the second coming of the Lord. So this is amazing. There's some amazing pictures in this chapter that you could read it and reread it and reread it. And it is just full of so many different details. Okay, so let's go through some of this stuff and all the things that I just mentioned. Let God really use that inside your heart and your mind as we go through some of this stuff. All right, so first of all, verses 1 through 5, we're going to take a look at God lays out the battle plan and he assures victory. So God lays out the battle plan and he assures victory. Let's get um, uh, some people to read. Volunteers. One, two, three. Let's two more over here. Come on, girls. Four, five. Okay, so read those verses. One, two, three, four, five. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. One went out and one came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of rams horns. And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times. And the priests shall blow with the it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. Okay. Kind of weird. Like, when you read the details, those of us that are more, like, we've been accustomed to church, we've grown up in church, we've heard this story. But when you sit down and you think about it, why would God do this? So, okay, all right, guys, so you're telling me that for six days, the entire nation of Israel, which, by the way, is hundreds of thousands of people, are going to march around the entire city one time and then go back to our camps 
and we're going to be blowing trumpets while the ark goes right behind those guys with the trumpets. And that's what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. And so then we're going to get up the next day, and we're all going to assemble. you got the priests with the horns again. There's seven of them. And they start blowing those horns, and you have the ark go, and we're just going to follow them around the city, and then we're going to go back to our camp. Yeah. And then we're going to do the third day, and we're going to go do the, and the fourth, and the fifth, and the sixth day. Like, isn't that odd? Like, I find that extremely odd. Why would God tell them to do something like that? Oh, yeah, and by the way, on the seventh day... <clears throat> You're going to go around it seven times. And then at the end, they're going to blow the trumpets again. And you're all going to shout and the wall's just going to fall down flat. Does anybody else think this is kind of strange? I think this is very strange. Because any other time that you see an assault on a city in the scriptures, (laughs) there's nothing like this. There's nothing like this. And so this is weird. And so this is why I want you guys to think about... If God were to come to you and say, hey, I want you to do something, you're like, that doesn't make any sense. God, why would I do that? Or if I were to go do that, do you know how much that would cost me as far as, you know, when it comes to my reputation or? Yeah. I mean, God does stuff like this in the scriptures all the time. Like even in my devotions this past week, I read um, Hosea. You want to read the book of Hosea? Okay, it's about a guy named Hosea. And he's a prophet. And he marries this woman named Gomer which is super attractive, in case you're wondering. (laughs) She is a harlot. She sells herself to have sex with men, and God says, Hosea, go and marry a harlot. What? Like, why would God do something like that? In that story, you know, he finds out, here's why I want you to marry a whore. I want you to marry someone like this because that's exactly how the nation of Israel has treated me. And I want you to feel in your heart exactly how I feel. Because then you'll be able to preach my word. Oh, and by the way, which he didn't know this at the time, you're going to have three kids, three or four kids, and then she's going to leave you and go back into a life of whoredom. And then you're going to preach my word. And by the way, you're going to go and you're going to get her. And you're going to rescue her out of that life to be your wife again. Okay, sounds strange, but when you know the Bible, it's like, oh, okay, I get it. So whenever you find weird things in the Bible, pay attention. Pay attention. Now think about this from God's perspective. And think about this from Israel's perspective. Why would God want them to do this? It would save a lot of Israelite lives. Okay. Sure. There's a lot of people that wouldn't die. Possibly. Yeah. As a test of their faith. Yep. Absolutely. As a test of their faith. Because it doesn't make any sense. Why else? To show his power on the first conquest. Yes, absolutely. Because how many of them do you think? Like, think back to chapter 5. Remember when Joshua stood before the captain of the Lord's host? And he said, what did he say? Are you for us or our enemies? He was ready to fight. And he said, no. As the captain of the Lord's host, I'm come. And by the way, the, the ground that you're standing on is holy ground. Take your shoes off. You know, brought him back into perspective of, I'm doing this for the Lord. and I need to follow him. It's not about fighting. Okay, so here is the one thing that you guys need to really, really get. There are some times that God may ask you to do things that don't make sense. Guess what? Do it anyway. And when you go and you do it, just watch what God will do. And when you see what God does then you'll be able to have the confidence and the boldness to follow him all the rest of your days. And this is why 
Jericho is a great picture of the lost person because can you save yourself eternally? No, you cannot. And when it comes to the strongholds in your life, like the things that you really struggle with, the stuff that you sin with constantly that maybe no one else knows about, have you been able to overcome those things? Have you? No. Not on your own. No way. I know about the strongholds in my life. I have tried and tried and tried and tried and I have strategized and I've thought about this and I've thought about that and still it grips hold of my life. I can't escape those things unless I am willing to do what? Surrender to who? The Lord and what he tells me to do. That's the only way to overcome some of this stuff. So I don't know where some of you guys are at. I don't know what you guys are, you know, as far as your struggles and the things you're working through. But I do know that in this room, every single one of you have a stronghold. Whether you want to get rid of it or not, that's a whole different story. But I know all of you have a stronghold. And that stronghold is keeping you back from being obedient to God and doing everything that God wants you to do. And there's no way, there's absolutely no way that you can overcome this unless you let God fight this battle and let him take down the walls. And then you have to go in and take the city. And we're going to talk about that. All right, so let's talk about these walls a little bit, and we'll get into that whole application. Okay, so Joshua, Joshua. So the, the, the walls of Jericho were three stories high, which is pretty tall, and they were double wall. There was an outer wall, and there was an inner wall. Now, the outer wall was about six feet thick. The inner wall was 12 feet thick. Now, there's a couple of pictures I wanted to show you. So here is a picture of what they thought that Jericho might look like. So you have the outer wall and the inner wall. So I've seen this one. And so think about that. You're having the entire nation of Israel marching around that city, that double-walled city. And then all of a sudden, that last day, they go around it seven times. And then they shout, and those walls fall, and they go in and they take the city. Now, the thing about the people that live in Jericho is that that looks like a pretty safe and secure place, does it not? So all they need to do is just wait it out. We got enough food. We got enough water. They'll get tired. They'll get exhausted. They're just marching around the wall. We'll just wait it out. Because they can't come in. There's no way they can humanly just come in because we have everything completely guarded. And they got people up on the posts, which I'm sure they had archers and different people like that. I mean, this was like an impossible situation. Here's another picture of the double wall. And you got little dudes down there of what that possibly looked like. So not only was it double walled, but then it was slanted. And can you imagine, can you imagine being the nation of Israel down that far, walking around this giant city and then saying, yeah, so the walls are just going to fall down and we're just going to go up in and take it. Doesn't this seem absolutely impossible? Okay, that's because it is outside of God. And it's better for you to come to the spot in your life to realize when it comes to strongholds, when it comes to your own heart, your own life, God, this is impossible. I can't do it. I can't do this. If you really want me to do this, then you have to do it and I will follow you because I can't do this. That's what we're talking about. That's Jericho. This is why God wanted them to go there first. Because after Jericho, you see the nation of Israel, they're attacking cities. There's different strategies, there's different battle plans, there's different things they do. I mean, it's amazing. We'll take a look at at least a couple of them. I mean, just the battle of AI is fascinating to me. Because they go and they lose it, and then God comes back and says, all right, here's why you lost it, so deal with that. And then here's what I'm going to tell you to do. And it's like, what? Why would we do that? And then they do it, and all of a sudden they win, and they gain a huge victory. So think about that from that perspective. 
Huge, huge double walls. Jericho was massively strong. It was a massively strong city. It was well fortified, nearly impenetrable, and it's going to take an absolute miracle to conquer it. And this is what God tells them to do. And the people of Israel were not to attack it directly, not at all. And so that's exactly what God tells them to do. And so Joshua goes back and he tells the people in verse 6, he starts to call the people up and he tells them exactly what to do. He tells them exactly what to do. And this will be verses 6 through 20. I'll just read these ones really quick. Just follow along. And Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said unto them, Take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said unto the people, Pass on and compass the city and let him that is armed pass on before the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass when Joshua had spoken unto the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns passed on before the Lord and blew with the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priests that blew with trumpets. And the reward came after the ark, the priest going on and blowing the trump with the trumpets. And Joshua had commanded the people saying, and this is, this is one part we didn't talk about yet. Ye shall not shout nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall, ye, shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you shout, then shall ye shout. So they didn't even say a word. So imagine you have hundreds of thousands of people marching around the city. You got guys that are blowing trumpets. You got the ark of God. You have armed men, and then you have the rest of the people, and not one single person, not one single child, not one single person at all utters one word. They just march around. Now, I know if I were in that situation, as one of the people, I'd be freaking out, and I'd be praying constantly, especially if I had a family. I mean, thinking about that, God, I don't know what you're going to do, and I know that you told us that these walls are going to fall down flat. It seems kind of crazy that we're doing this, but I know that you promised to give us this land, and we've seen what you've done already, so God, please help us. That's just something that I probably would be doing, because, I mean, what else could you do as you're marching around the city, and you're thinking about what God has told you to do? All right, let's keep going. So the ark of the Lord, verse 11, compassed the city, going about it once. And they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, and seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them, but the reward came after the ark of the Lord, the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. And the second day, they compassed the city once. And returned into the camp. So they did six days. And now we're going to get to the seventh day too. Now, one more thing to note. Just as a kind of a side note. If you want to write this down, you can. It's up to you. But think about it. It says that the ark of God. Now, what does the ark of God represent? That's what I heard. <laughs> what does the ark of God represent for the nation of Israel? The way. Yeah, okay, so you got the mercy seat. That's where they did all the sacrifices. That's God's seat. They're past, they're past. sure. Yeah, because their past is in it. Come on, this stuff's important, guys. Be thinking about this. What does the ark of God represent for the nation of Israel? God himself. God, yeah. It represents God. And what's in the ark? Manna. Manna. Aaron's rod that budded and yielded almonds. And God's word. <laughs> okay, so you have God compassing the city. So this is something just to think about. 
in your own life, when it comes to your struggles and your strongholds, it's very good for you to compass that entire city and to walk with God in the process as you're praying and spending time with him because you're about to tackle this enemy, but God's going to do it for you. But you're compassing that entire city. That's something to think about. We don't have time to get into those kind of details, but I want to keep going. That's something to think about. Verse 15. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and compassed the city after the same manner seven times. Only on that day they compassed the city seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time, by the way, what does he repeat there? Like one, two, three, four times? Seven. Seven. Why is seven important? Seven in the Bible is the number of? Completion. Completion. Every time you see seven, God took, he took seven days. He, he created the world in six days and he rested on the seventh day. How many thousands of years of human history are there? Seven. There's 6,000 with us and then a thousand millennial year reign of Jesus Christ. I mean, there's so many sevens in the Bible. It's crazy. So it's a number of completion. And it came to pass at the seventh time when the priests blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, shout, for the Lord hath given you the city and the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein to the Lord, only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And ye, in any wise, keep yourselves from the accursed thing. By the way, that's going to be one of our lessons that are going to be in the future. Lest ye make yourselves accursed when ye take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Okay. All right. So there are several things that I want to I just talk about here. All right. So Joshua leads the people according to God's word. That's point number two, and that's the part that we're in right now. So going back a little bit, I, want you to, I wanted to keep this picture up here. So they go around it seven times, not a single person saying a word, and then all of a sudden they stop, and they're going to blow the trumpets again, and he gives them instructions. So this is like the first time that Joshua's even spoken to the people since the very beginning, and now he speaks, and he gives them all these instructions, something that they would have definitely remembered. Shout with a great shout. Make sure that when you go in, you keep yourselves from the accursed thing. Make sure you save Rahab. This city is accursed. Go in and take that city. And all the stuff, the silver and the gold and everything, it belongs to the Lord. And we're going to talk about that in a future lesson. But So basically what happened, these people shouted, and then these walls fell down flat. Now think about this one for a second, okay? So they would have been out here. This wall falls down flat. Flat, by the way. Think about that. It falls down flat, and it creates a perfect ramp for them to go right <coughs> up into the city. So this was something completely supernatural. <coughs> Moreover... And this is another good side note. This is the kind of stuff I wish we had so much time to get into. Where did Rahab live? On the wall. Okay? So what about her house? Did it fall? No. So you have the entire wall of the city, all of it, falling down flat, except for one section that Rahab's window goes out of. Because if that would have fallen down, it would have killed her and her entire family. So you know this is something that God did. God supernaturally caused this wall to fall down flat, 
creating a ramp to go up into the city that was absolutely impenetrable outside of the hand of God. And then he kept one part of the wall standing straight up, Rahab's house, to save her and her household. That is astounding. Moreover, think about this from Rahab's perspective. I mean, we got so many verses to go through. This is ridiculous. So you guys need to do this this week for your devotions. Think about Rahab for a second. She's in the city, right? Okay. It's been a period of time since the two spies came in. She fears God. She loves God. She saves the spies. They leave. She binds that scarlet thread in the window so that way they know where Rahab's house is. She keeps it bound there for who knows how long. How many people do you think went up to Rahab and said, Rahab, what's that scarlet thread doing in your window? And what would that have done for Rahab? Yeah, it would have tested her faith and gave her an opportunity to talk about the God of Israel with the people of Jericho, right? Now, she probably would have done it discreetly because she probably could have been in prison. She could have been killed. Her family could have been killed. But you know she loved God. And she knows anyone that's in my house is going to be saved when they come to attack the city. You get in the picture? Okay. All right. So now you have Rahab, and you have the people compassing the city for six days. And then on the seventh day, seven times. So she knows it's coming. I mean, she knows it's coming. How much more in her heart do you think she felt, I got to reach more people? I got to reach more people. There's coming a day where these people are going to die. They're going to die by the edge of the sword, which, by the way, Revelation 19, exact same thing happens. Jesus Christ comes back, conquers Babylon, and he says that he slaughters everyone from the two-edged mouth that comes out of his a two-edged sword that comes out of his mouth. So she knows these people are going to die. I've got to talk to them. I've got to talk to them. I need to fill my house because anyone who's in my house will be saved. Ah! Like this is one of those things in the Bible where I'm like, oh my gosh, that is amazing that God would write a story like this with these events at this time for us today to get this devotional application and even for people during the tribulation for them to be able to have that kind of hard attitude putting her life on the line in order for people to be saved from the wrath that's to come. This is amazing. This is absolutely amazing. So Rahab is a great picture of you and I as New Testament believers, and it is a great picture of the saints during the tribulation that will have a heart to see people redeemed. So that is absolutely amazing. I love it. I love it. All right. So then you have the walls fall down flat, and then they go up into the city, and then they end up taking it. And then you have... um, uh, we've already mentioned some of those details. So that leads us to point number three. Point number three. <clears throat> okay. All right. So God miraculously delivers the city, and he saves Rahab. He saves Rahab. Now let's take a look at these verses, 21 through 27. All right, we'll get people to read this one. All right, one. Come on, need more volunteers. On, Two, on. three, four. Five, six, one more, seven. All right, read 21 through 27. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox, and sheep, and ass, with the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out in the country, Go unto the harlot's house, and bring out thence the woman, and all that she hath, as ye swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all, and all that she had and they brought out all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel 
and they burnt the city with fire, and all that was therein, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and of iron. They put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive, and her father's household, and all that she had, and she dwelt in Israel even unto this day, because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And Joshua fired them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and build this city Jericho. He shall lay on the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and his youngest son shall set he set up. Okay, so man, God delivers this entire city to him. This absolutely impenetrable, this this massive stronghold. God completely gives it to him, knocks down the walls. They go up and they take it out totally and completely. And man, there's so many great things here. Now, one thing that I did want to mention is this. All right, so first of all, people might struggle a little bit with verse 21. Why do you think? There's a lot of people that do not want to believe God or follow the Bible, and they use verse 21 as an example of why not to believe God. Yes. Have you heard that? Anyone have that argument with them before where they're like, the God of the Old Testament, I mean, he slaughters babies. Why would I want to follow that kind of a God? Anyone heard that one? Okay. All right. So what do you say in that circumstance? He did. How many? Seven days. Yeah, seven days. And Rahab. So who knows how much time took, took place between the two spies coming back, delivering, crossing over the Jordan, being circumcised, resting up. We have no idea what the period of time was. So you have God gave Jericho Rahab. Rahab, you bet she was faithful, as should we, because God has given this world, you and me, I mean, and we should be faithful just like Rahab. And then he gives them warning after warning after warning after warning after warning. Okay, so that's a good one. Now, sometimes in the Bible, God doesn't give people warning. It doesn't give certain cities warning. What would you say in that circumstance? That the babies were already corrupted by their culture, so like they were under the age of accountability, so they went to heaven like that. Okay. Yeah, I mean, think about the nation of Israel spending 400 years in Egypt. And how many problems did God have with Israel going out in the wilderness, coming out of Egypt, of all the corrupt things that were in that nation? Okay, so there are some people that are absolutely corrupted, even down to the point God's like, you can't have anyone. Because think about this for a second. Let's say God says, all right, you know what? I'm not going to kill the kids. Bring them in. Okay, the kids grow older. And then they're like, where am I from? And then you're like, uh, well, we um, killed your parents all your family, and we adopted you. <laughs> How well do you think that would have gone over? <clears throat> Not too well would be the correct answer. And then think about this from God's perspective. Now, this is a little weird way to say it, but this is true. You got you to think about this from every single angle. When those babies would have died, where would they have gone? Paradise, right? Now, that doesn't justify it, per se, but God told them to do it. Think about this. This is what really helps me. A lot of people don't know this and they miss this completely because they think that God works the same in the Old Testament as he does in the New. Now, it is true the Bible says that God does not change at all. But what he did in the Old Testament compared to what he did in the New Testament is drastically different. Would you agree with that? Okay. When you study out the nation of Israel and you study out the Old Testament history, everything is physical. Everything is physical. It's a physical kingdom. 
God's establishing a physical kingdom with the nation of Israel in Jerusalem. I mean, everything. Everything is about the physical kingdom. Everything. There is nothing spiritual, per se, about this at all. They're supposed to just obey God. There's no spiritual side of this. Not until Jesus Christ comes and he dies on the cross, and then people are born again spiritually. So at this point in time, people were not born again spiritually. And this is a little heavy, so I hope you guys can take it. I hope you guys can really understand it. But everything in the Old Testament is physical, and it is physical for a reason. Christ needs to come, and he needs to die. Now, and that's why, if you've heard it said before, the Old Testament, the physical things that happen in the Old Testament, are spiritual pictures of what happens in the New Testament. So God is teaching us spiritual principles through the physical things that occur in the Old Testament. So when God says, this is my people, Israel, that is the enemy of Israel. They all need to go. There's nothing wrong with that. This is my people. I do not want them corrupted. I want to protect them and I want to keep them intact. I want to keep them pure. If even one ounce from that society gets into my people, it will corrupt all of them. I can't have it. It needs to go. Spiritually speaking, that is a great picture of you and I when it comes to sin. You let just a little bit in and it can corrupt all of you. There are certain things in your life you need to utterly destroy down to the finest detail of your life because you shouldn't be having it in your life. And only you know what that is between you and the Lord. So that is another great application behind it. Another one that goes a little bit deeper, and I'm just going to throw it out here, going to say it, move on. If it bothers you for the rest of your life, then you just need to chew on it and think about it. Genesis 6. What happened in Genesis 6? The sons of God came unto the daughters of men, and they produced a race of giants. So you have angelic beings coming down, having sex with women, and creating a lot of the mythological creatures and stories that you hear today between the Greek mythology, Roman mythology, and everything. Like that legit happened. Just read it. Genesis chapter 6. And that's why Noah was called out to be different because he was perfect in his generations, the Bible says. His DNA was not was not flawed at all. And through him, he could end up producing a race of God's people that would cover the face of the earth. But as far as everybody else, they all needed to die. That's why the flood needed to happen. That's why the worldwide flood needed to happen because the DNA of humankind at that time had been completely corrupted from these angels that came down and had sex with women. That also occurs throughout the Bible. And there's no doubt in my mind that within societies like this, these creatures came in and did similar things and God said, they've all got to go. But he didn't tell you that because he already told you in Genesis 6 that these things occur. So that's another thing. Now that goes way deeper and you probably can't have some of those conversations with certain people just because it would freak them out about the Bible. But it is something that is in the Bible that you just need to think about. So there are multiple reasons why God would say wipe out this entire nation. That's just a huge side note. So moving on, <laughs> moving on. So God miraculously delivers the city. And so I wanted to mention verse 21 just because it trips people up. And I wanted to equip you guys with just a couple things to think about as you chew through that kind of stuff because people will bring up that as a, a valid reason why they do not become a Christian and they'll use verses like that to prove it. Okay, so here's the point that I want you guys to get out of these verses, verses 21 through 27. Once God opens up a door for victory, go through it and fight. You've got to go through it and fight. I think there's a lot of us when it comes to the strongholds in our life and things like that that God gives us opportunities, like even today, like us even talking about this today and talking about Jericho, I think even this could be a, a door that God is opening for you to walk through and to fight whatever stronghold is holding you back from greater service unto the Lord. Now the issue is, are you actually going to do that or not? Are you going to walk through that door? Some of us, it's summer camp, it's winter camp, it's discipleship, 
It could be one of us coming in just to talk to you because we're concerned about something in your life. It could be you reading your Bible during your devotions and God convicting you about something that you need to do differently. God miraculously comes in and he'll knock down some walls for you to go up in and take that city. But a lot of us sometimes hesitate. We're not willing to go in and fight. And notice what it says at the end of verse 21. Utterly destroy all with what? The edge of the sword. Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. When you are really, really, really serious to fight about some of these strongholds in your life, you can only fight them using the word of God and believing God's word. God will knock down a wall and he will want you to go through that. But then you have to be obedient to what God has told you to do related to whatever that is in your life. So you've got some work to do to go in and fight that. And you fight it until it is utterly destroyed. That's the pattern. You don't go in and just fight it on your own. You wait for God to open up that door. And then once he opens up that door, you run through it and you slaughter everything with the edge of the sword, with the word of God. That's what you do. And it will not come back. Only if you let it come back, which the nation of Israel did do that quite a bit. And we are a great picture of the nation of Israel individually. So that's huge. God didn't just promise you eternal salvation. He promised you salvation on the day to day. Like you keep struggling with certain things in your life. But the reason why you keep struggling is because you want to keep struggling. (coughs) That's really the honest truth behind it. I know it's a little bit brutal. So it's really upfront in your face, but it is the truth. The reason why I struggle with certain things in my life is because I choose to keep struggling. Because God doesn't want me to struggle, and he's given me the ability to overcome those things. I just need to be obedient. And when he opens up those doors, I need to walk through it, and i got to fight. we got to fight. And you got to make sure to utterly destroy everything, absolutely everything. All right, and then lastly, just as we're reading through it, a couple things just to mention, as we just talked about, verse 23. When the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had, all that she had. So that means she packed her house out, man. She packed her house out so that way people could be saved. And they brought them all out. And it says very specifically in verse 25, And Joshua, Jesus, saved Rahab the harlot alive and her father's household and all that she had. And she dwelt in Israel even unto this day because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Also, another side note, Rahab. Guess who's in the lineage of Rahab? Jesus is. The seed of the Messiah went through Rahab. Wait a minute. She's a harlot. Yeah. Yep, she was. She's even called that for the rest of her life. She's called a harlot. You and I, we're sinners. So we are. Yeah, we're saved, but we're sinners. Same parallel. But through Rahab and the seed that went through her and her DNA came the Messiah. That's pretty stinking amazing. That's absolutely amazing. And then God says in verse 25, Cursed be the man that tries to build this city. And then he says very specifically, He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and in his youngest son shall he set up the gates of it. And that actually occurred in 1 Kings 16. The next guy that came along to try to rebuild Jericho, his first kid died, and then his last son died when he set up the gates and set up the city. And that's why it's a picture of Babylon, because God's like, nope, Babylon needs to be utterly destroyed, and no one's going to build it. If you try to build it again, you're going to be cursed. And that's exactly what occurred. And so the Lord is with Joshua, and his fame was noised throughout all the country. 
And I tell you what, this would have done unbelievable things in their future battles as people were just absolutely terrified of the nation of Israel. So we're going to take a look at that. So there are many, many things to take from this one. And I tell you, coming out of this, if I were in the nation of Israel, I would be pumped. I would be pumped. All the things that God had done. I mean, he just saved us. He didn't kill us with our mothers and fathers in that generation. And then we come back over and he like dries up this entire huge flooded river and we walk over on dry, dry ground. And then we go and we do this and God knocks down this wall. We go up in and take it. Man, I would have been pumped. And that's exactly why in chapter seven, there's some bad stuff that occurs because they are now overconfident and they try to go in without talking to God first. So there's some really good lessons from that one. So next week, um, Andy's going to be teaching for me in my stead. Megan and I are going to be getting away to celebrate our anniversary. So uh, make sure <laughs> make sure that you, uh, you know, don't be afraid. Andy will do a good job. He'll only insult just a little bit. Yeah, there you go. Part of a spiritual gift, making people feel very uncomfortable. And then this Wednesday, we're going to be getting into our dating aspect of relationships. So this would be a good one. This would be a good one to bring some people. Um, maybe if you know somebody that's even struggling in their current dating relationship, this would be a great one to even bring them along as well. I got and an answer for that. What's that? Don't date because you're not getting married tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Sorry. There you go. It's all right. My yeah, I know. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Apologize if you actually struggle with Tourette's. Andy will give you a check later. Okay. All right. Let's go ahead and pray. <laughs> God, thank you so much for your word. It truly does give us everything that we need. And I pray, God, that we take these things and we would apply them. Uh, there's so much here in this chapter that I couldn't get to. I couldn't even get to any cross-references because there's just so many things to talk about with this chapter. And so I pray, Lord, that, um, that you'd really move inside of our hearts. Uh, this was a very important lesson that if we're going to be fruitful in the life that you've given us, we have to overcome and, and overcome these strongholds. So please help us, Lord. Thank you for loving us even in our sin and while we were your enemies. And uh, I'm just very, very thankful for your graciousness towards me personally and towards us as a whole. Um, I pray that we bring you honor and glory with our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.